so I think that's sort of what what Powell's thinking is. You know, yes, we're seeing we're seeing the we're seeing the, the effects that we want to see, but we're not seeing them across uh, the board. Yeah, or... across the board. We're not seeing them spread out into the things that that are really um, that are really driving the economy. And and he really wants to kill the uh, the labor market. Yeah. And I know everybody is like, why would he want to do that? This is terrible. But the thing is, you know, as long as there are more jobs available than there are people looking for jobs, then employers have to compete for employees, and that means they have to offer higher sure. wages. And when you offer higher wages, like that's the biggest expense that a company has is their payroll usually. Yeah. So, you know, what do you do? You have to raise prices to cover that. And yeah. then when you raise prices, you get people the spiral. are like, hey, I need more money to pay for stuff. Let me get a raise. And exactly, you get the spiral. And we haven't seen that yet. Um, and I'm kind of concerned that we start to see that next year, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, if we see that, that's terrifying, I think. That's really where the threat of hyperinflation comes in, as far as I understand it. Uh, welcome, welcome everybody to the show. This is the Angel Research Podcast. Uh, we're here to discuss the markets, uh, how to stock stories and investment opportunities. We've got Jason Williams on the show, or also known as J Dubs. J Dubs. Uh, Jason, I usually dubs. I usually kind of introduce you as a as a reformed Wall Street guy, and you usually laugh at me. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of want to give you kind of an opportunity to introduce yourself this this time around. Well, I always laugh at it because I like the I like the idea of a reformed Wall Street guy. Um, also, I've described myself as a reformed Wall Street bro before too. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you're not that much of a bro. No, not anymore. Not anymore. Those days are behind me. I was definitely a little bit more of a bro. I mean, I did play lacrosse, you know. So I was. A I didn't know that. Bro. Yeah. Oh yeah. I actually I don't I like you a little bit less now. <laughs> I'm not surprised. I didn't play in college, so I wasn't that wasn't that broy. Are you from Maryland? Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm from Long Island. We're like it's like two hubs in the U.S. where lacrosse is mm-hmm. a huge thing. Oh yeah, you grow up in Maryland. and They're like, what what sport did you play? And you're like lacrosse. And they're like, yeah, but I mean, like, what other sport? Yeah, you know, because everybody plays lacrosse. Did you do anything else? Uh, yeah, yeah. I ran cross country. I played basketball. I had a lot of energy as a kid. I was uh, like, I, I played sports year round. Yeah, you yeah. have a lot of energy now. Can you I uh, still do? Can you maybe give people like a rundown of what you do, what your services are all about? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I well, I mean, I guess maybe a little bit of a background. First, uh, I started in the world of finance at Morgan Stanley. Um, I worked my way sort of up the ladder there until I was responsible for a team that was um, basically running a sales desk for uh, most of North America. What's a sales um, desk? The sales. So in 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 finance. Um, like in, in high in high finance on Wall Street, you've got traders and you've got salespeople. And so the traders, you know, traders talk to other traders and traders deal with like the numbers and things like that. And actually, um, you know, negotiating uh, uh, like prices and rates and things like that. Whereas the salespeople are relationship keepers. You know, they're the people that, that people like to talk to. Yeah, you, you, traders are not fun to talk to, I should say. Uh, traders can kind of be like, they're really smart and they're really good at their jobs, but you know, they're not people people. And so the sales team is sort of like uh, the other half of that, um, you know, holds the hands, talks to the clients, makes sure that everybody's happy and that they want to, you know, continue to do business with Morgan Stanley. Could you give me like a, what's a, give me like a nine to five. What does your day look like oh, at, man. at Morgan so, Stanley? One, it's never nine to five. Yeah. <laughs> um, or what, it was what like, did it look like seven to seven, yeah. something like that. Um, so uh, I come in the morning, I get there around like six thirty, seven in the morning. Um, and uh, we, one of our biggest customers on my desk uh, was the government of Singapore. And that's a 12-hour time difference. Um, so they were ready to go home by the time I was ready to come in. So as soon as I got in, the first thing I did was confirm their trades. We did, give or take, like $3 billion worth of trades with them a day. Um, How big was so, your team? 
Uh, so my team was, the the entire team was about 20 people, um, but the one that really uh, focused on the desk that, that I worked with uh, was about like four people. Okay. Um, so me plus four. Um, and, uh, you know, we each had, like we each covered, I want to say about like 15 to 20 clients. Um, and then I sort of like hovered over everybody and, and dealt with uh, the, the more difficult uh, issues and stuff. Um, I also, since coming in that early, kind of sucked, and the government of Singapore was such a big client, I handled them personally. So I would come in every day and confirm those trades with them, make sure that all the details were right and everything was going to settle. Um, because that's something that uh, that happens, and probably a lot of people don't realize that uh, outside of the world of Wall Street, is that you know when you agree to sell, like when, when you want to buy something, there's another party that's selling it, right? And if you agree to sell something, and then you don't deliver it by the day that you agree to deliver it by, you get fined. Okay. Um, and so in the fixed income market, they're called TMPG charges, um, and basically you get fined a percentage of the amount of the trade. And when you're a Wall Street bank, you're trading, you know, I mean, a, a small block or a small trade is like a, like $10 million, you know. So usually you're trading like in the in the hundreds of millions of dollars and it's broken up into $50 million blocks. And um, if you get one of those charges, you know, if you get a couple of them, that can sink all of the profits for your sales desk. Okay. Uh, and they actually started doing that back in... Uh, the early 2000s, well, I guess late 2000s, because it was after the financial crisis. And basically what happened was like contagion hit Wall Street. And like one person after another person after another person failed on their on their deliveries. Mm. And so like these failures of deliveries helped cause even more chaos in the markets. So they basically tried to create like a like an incentive or I guess the opposite of an incentive to, exactly. to get you to do, you know, your, a do stick. your job. You know, the carrot would be you would have made money if you had yeah. been able to settle those trades. The stick is you got to pay money if you don't. Okay. Um, and so that's what they sort of did. And um, it's, it got really complicated because what you would end up doing is, is you know, a lot of times you'll um, agree to sell something that you don't have. So you got to find somebody to buy it from. Mm. And so if they fail to deliver it to you, you're going to fail to deliver it to somebody else. And that person might have agreed to sell it to somebody else further down the line. So there could be like, you know, 10 different people in this chain where one person's the original seller and one person's going to end up with it at the end. But there's like eight people in between. Sure. That are sort of passing it off, and everybody's making a little bit, you know, yeah. here and there. Um, is is that kind of like straight up chaos and and like dysfunctionality? Be... Something that encouraged you to walk away from that that part that part you of your professional life? Or I mean, you could definitely say that it was it was it was frustrating, and you would come down to like you know it's like three fifty eight. And you're missing $200 million of this bond that you need to send down the line. And, you know, somebody sends it and somebody else sends it and somebody else sends it. And then all of a sudden you get it and it's 359 and 30 seconds. And you're yeah. like, I got to get this out the door. Otherwise, I'm getting screwed. Yeah. You know, because they can prove they got it to me. I got to be able to prove I got it to them. So that was yeah. definitely stressful. Sounds um, very fucking stressful. Holy and, shit. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, honestly, I mean, you know, that was part of the reason that I left. The other part of the reason is that, like, there's really, you know, you hear about – um. Uh, you hear about guys in the mafia, right? Like guys in the mafia get caught, guys in like crime families get caught, like guys in gangs get caught and they don't roll on their friends, you know? They go to jail and they keep their mouths shut and they take the, they, they, they take the sentence. That does not happen on Wall Street. Nobody cares about anybody themselves on Wall sure. Street. You know, people would throw their grandmother under the bus if it thought yeah. that they would make them $5. Okay, so you, and, didn't, you didn't feel like you had, like there was no one with a sense of like loyalty 
Yeah. Or like you feel like you, there was you didn't feel yeah. loyalty. Wall with Street's any... a very like what have you done for me lately kind of place. Yeah. You know, like yeah, you made me twenty million dollars last year, but what have you done for me lately? I mean, that makes sense. A lot of money minded folks. It, it is. It does make sense. It definitely does. And I mean, everybody is a little bit. What have you done for me lately? Yeah. But um, no, there was that. It's a real dog eat dog world. Um, you know, and uh, and really people were just focused on you know how do I how do I make the most for myself? And like I get that. You know, you got to like look out for number one. But at the same time. Um, you know, it's like a, it's like a politician. You know, a politician's number one priority is supposed to be the voters, their constituents, um, and a financial advisor's number one priority is supposed to be his customers, the people whose yeah, money. But it's he's definitely investing. not. I've always, from it's my not, experience, I, anyone who's dealing with your money is generally like. I feel like legally end. they're they're obligated to to benefit you, but it, it doesn't always seem that way. We oh, were t- yeah. you and I were talking about this actually the other uh, the other week at the holiday party. We were talking about kind of how. Uh, the person who's representing you when you're buying or selling a house. Oh my gosh. All they want to do, all they, all they want <laughs> is for the transaction to go through. They don't really give a shit as who, get, who gets the best deal. They just want their, their yeah. cut. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And I remember um, and we were saying, I was saying like, you know, when I bought my first house, you know, I was excited. I was like, wow, this is so awesome. You know, I'm an adult, I'm buying a house. This is great. It's not until you buy your second house that you realize how bad you're getting screwed and yeah. how everybody is just taking a piece, you know, taking a piece and taking a piece. And I'm sure the sellers feel the same way because, like, you know, the commissions come out of come out of the money that they would be getting for sure. the house. Um, but, yeah, you know, uh, it's definitely it's 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 tough, you know, um, and uh, and the, the real estate agents, you know, they want you to pay as much as possible because their commissions a percentage of how much you pay. And they want the deal to close as quickly yeah. as possible because that affects their hourly rate. You know, like real estate agents make a ton of money. But if you break it down hourly, they make terrible money. OK, you know, they're probably making like five or six bucks an hour because like their hours are crazy. They are always, they to, always available. Yeah. 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 And they have to be always available. And, you know, they don't really have weekends. They don't really have like evening because that's when most of us who have other jobs, I don't want to say real jobs, because yeah. uh, being a real estate agent is a real job. I'm not trying to knock them or anything. But, um, you know, it's tough. You know, you want to look out for number one. But at the same time, you know, you want to also look out for your for your customers and you want repeat customers. And if you screw people over, over too hard, you kind of ruin the yeah. opportunity for repeat customers. So that kind of like sent me away from from finance from wall street you know i, I and, just, and now and now you're writing investment newsletters which uh you have uh the wealth advisory uh and main street ventures right main street ventures and, fu- and future, gi- uh, future future giants. giants and then alpha profit machine oh wow so yeah I have you're four newsletters now yeah. wild it's uh it, it is so, a lot that's a lot it's, to juggle it's definitely a lot i have been super busy i was saying on my cool. way in that like you know, I really could have used this time to go Christmas shopping because it's the twenty second. Yeah. I haven't done that. Well, yet. Alpha, well, at least at least Alpha Profit Machine is kind of like automated, right? Because you essentially great. it's super easy. I mean, it's super easy for me. Yeah. I mean, it's super easy for me now. I should say yeah. it took a while. Like it took a lot of work to get it set up. Um, sure. But basically, it's an algorithm, you know, that runs. It's a model. Um, the model runs. Uh, it pulls from a universe of small cap stocks, and it basically looks for momentum. And if it sees stocks that have momentum behind them, it's like, hey, buy these. Yeah, um, and you send out send out like recommendations every week, or yep. that, so yeah. pretty much every week we get a new a new buy and sell. This week actually we started to unload positions, so we work with a portfolio that would be basically it starts out equally balanced, ten positions, um, you know, whatever ten percent to each of them, ten percent of your money to each of them, and then as we close positions, we'll roll that money into the next one. So we never have more than ten stocks on in the portfolio. Okay, um, but now we right now we have eight. 
Yeah. So we sold two last week and we didn't add two more. Um, and uh, I'm expecting next week we'll probably sell a couple more. Yeah. Have you noticed any trends in what that, what kinds of stocks that that algorithm has been picking? Um, because because it is kind of like reallocating every week. Um, and it's looking for stocks with momentum. Is it like hitting like energy stocks? Is there like a particular sector that's standing out? We got a lot of energy stocks this yeah. year. Um, and it's interesting too, because like it pulls out coal stocks. You know, when nobody was talking about coal, everybody was talking about sort of oil and gas and everything. It turned out some coal stocks. And um, you know, I've learned not to question the algorithm. Yeah. Um, and uh, we put the coal stocks in and those were some of our best gains there. Um, we've got some great, uh, we had some great oil gains and, and natural gas gains this year. Uh, it put it started pulling up shipping stocks, right? There's one guy that I talked to that was talking about shipping stocks yeah. like out of all the different people like that I follow on Twitter that, you know, like I, I that I know here that I know just in the world yeah. of finance. Yeah. One of them was talking about shipping stocks and the, the machine started yeah, pumping that's up pretty cool. shipping stocks. Yeah, and transportation stocks. And I was like, this is weird, but okay, you know. And then all of a sudden, you know, we see these shipping rates going crazy. And now, you know, uh, the Wall Street Journal is doing stories about, about um, shipping and tankers and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's definitely kind of cool. It, it keeps you a little bit... It kind of a little bit ahead of the game, you know, sure. and if you're willing to look into it and research it a little bit and try and see like, so, you know, it's the technical things that causes the machine to pick these stocks. Yeah. But what's causing the other investors to make those technical things happen? Of course. Yeah. Is, you know, kind of interesting yeah. to research and you get a little bit of, uh, of insight into maybe like what the market is thinking, but not saying. Okay. So that's almost like the, like the front line of, of your research in some respects. And oh, then definitely. like you could put a little bit of a human touch on yeah, it in yeah. some of your other publications. And that one's pretty and... cool. It's, it's thrown up some really interesting stocks too that like normally I probably wouldn't have looked into. Um, you know, there was a company, granted right now it hasn't been doing really well, um, called LMPX, uh, LMP Automotive. And basically their deal was they uh, they invested in car dealerships. You know, they would buy yeah. a stake in a car dealership. When were these, was then, this, ha- were, was it And hitting... this was back in like 2019, 2020. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it, it, when it first came up, we're like, what the heck is this stock? Yeah. But then in 2020, it was just well, going crazy. Well, that was obviously yeah. a crazy time to, I mean, a good time to invest in those companies. I mean, we, oh, we all kind of know what happened with Carvana mm-hmm. and how it collapsed. Uh, but leading up to that, it had like a, oh, yeah. it was like a, I don't even know what the game was. I know it was, it was like at least a thousand percent. It yeah. was insane, and the, the run-up was crazy. It was really nuts. Um, and uh, a lot of other companies like that. You had uh, Vroom was the other like the, mm-hmm. the sort of like uh, Carvana's uh, main competitor there. Um, but LMP started instead of selling the stuff online, they were literally just buying buying stakes in the car dealerships and then sharing the revenues from the car dealerships. Yeah. Um, or uh, you know there was some interesting like. Uh, uh, call them Web three or or, or blockchain um, type companies that came up that sure. I probably wouldn't have looked into. Yeah. You know, had the had the algorithm not picked. I up. mean, that makes sense. You're looking for momentum. You're looking for these quick, trendy plays, but mm-hmm. you're kind of in and out of yep. in and out of them for the most and they part. They are really quick. I think um, you know we just closed our longest standing position in the portfolio, and we had gotten into that like back in August. So we closed that one out for an eighty percent gain too, which is yep. awesome because uh, I think the only. I think the Dow was flat since August. Well, I think and the anyone other two would. Markets were down. Anyone would love an eighty percent gain in this market. I uh, think, yeah. uh, you know, obviously we've gone for like, we kind of go for like huge, like you know, life changing kind of stock trades, but mm-hmm. uh, it's obviously not always going to happen. There's no. always a little bit of risk, and in a market where everything is going down, eighty percent is uh, a godsend. Yeah, and uh, if you're you know a trader, you know the the secret to being a successful trader, you know I'll give it out. Everybody, write this down. You know, um, is take 
big wins, small wins, and small losses. Yeah. That's it. That's the only thing you have to do. Just don't take big do, losses. Do you have a personal stop loss that you kind of abide by? Like, is there is there a, a percentage loss on a stock that you're like, I'm I'm not willing to lose so, more than that? Or it it all sort of depends on, I guess you'd say like the size of the company and the nature of the investment. If I see it as a really speculative investment, I, I expect that to be a very volatile investment. Yeah. So you know, I wouldn't want to put a stop loss on that just because I would be concerned about triggering it just in. Sure. You know, it's normal. That makes sense. Um, But, you know, bigger companies, I'd say, you know, like if you're uh, investing in like an Apple or something like that, you know, a 20% stop loss is, is a solid one, you know, to have. Um, and basically just what that is, is, is as soon as the stock drops 20% from its peak while you've been holding it, your position's going to get closed out. Yeah. Uh, those are definitely good risk management tools to have. And risk management is definitely a good thing to have. You know, we all learned that watching the FTX uh, Alameda debacle. Sure. Because uh, they had no risk well, management, you know. Um, so let's, let's actually, I, I find this kind of really interesting. We were talking about this a little bit before we hit the record button. Uh, I think you have a little bit more knowledge on this than, than I do at the moment, but Sam Bankman-Fried was is being released, or what's the situation going, um, going he's on gonna, there? He's going to be released on like two hundred fifty million dollars bond. Um, his both of his parents, who are law professors at Stanford, are going to co-sign the bond. Um, they'll be taking his passport from him, and uh, he has to stay under house arrest at his parents' house um, until the trial. And apparently, this is something that that I thought was kind of odd. I don't think you really usually hear this, but he has to undergo uh, mental health. Uh, assessments, regular mental health assessments um, up until the trial starts. I guess, you know, maybe like to make sure that he doesn't commit suicide or something. I'm not quite sure. Sure. Um, Or, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was interesting uh, that, um, but, you know, also thought it was interesting that he decided he wanted to be extradited. Like that was kind of a choice that he made there. Um, I've heard a lot of jokes that that was because he wanted to get vegan meals and they don't serve those in prison in the Bahamas. But I don't know if that's the truth. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's just been a crazy thing, um, you know, and uh, there's another example of that whole, like, you know, I, I mentioned the honor amongst thieves thing. Um, yeah. And Do- these white collar thieves have no honor. Everybody at FTX well, is just like flipping on everybody else, you know. Do you think that like part of me thinks that like he doesn't really understand that he's done something wrong? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, like listening to the interviews or do you think this is all an act from him? I don't know. It's really hard to tell um, because it, it could you could be right. It could be all an act. Um, he comes off as like super autistic. As as yeah, right? Just super, Is that like, doesn't doesn't quite understand? Like oh, well, you know, I wasn't trying to do something bad. Yeah. You know, so so since my intentions weren't bad, then I shouldn't be punished. Yeah. You know, my intentions were good. Yeah. You know, he's trying um, to set the, the set it right for the customer. He's oh, still yeah. talking about that, and I think that was kind of what his lawyers were saying when he yeah. decided to be extradited. They were saying like, dude, don't. Don't do this. Don't talk. And he yeah. decided he went against their advice and said, oh, I want to set it straight. Uh-huh. And I, I wonder if part of him thinks that if he can just convince people that like, oh, no, I really like, you know, this wasn't my fault. I was just trying to help. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah totally. And that, if you give me a little bit more time, like, more... I can make all of the money back. You yeah. know? But I mean, like, that's sort of like how all Ponzi schemes work yeah. is that like, you know, they're, they're great until you stop getting more money from other people. Yeah. And then, you know, and then it all falls apart. Yeah. So, I mean... I don't know. And, and 
you got to assume that this sort of also comes from like he's probably gotten in trouble in the past, you know, never trouble like this, but like has gotten in trouble like, you know, when he was a kid in school and all he had to do was like say, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, you're saying his parents were Stanford lawyers and he probably, it was probably, he he lived a life where it was. Expensive, you know, prep school, um, you know, really really prestigious prep school um, and uh, went to, then went on to MIT and yeah, his parents are pretty powerful people, pretty, pretty rich people. Um, Not, not that powerful. But yeah, apparently not that powerful. Powerful. I mean, powerful enough to get him um, to get him released on bond, though, yeah, which I yeah. think is pretty impressive because uh, you know I have heard rumors that there's you know some like multi-million dollar bank account in like Brazil or something that he could abscond with. Yeah. Uh, so well, they. I mean, do they have a bracelet on him at this point? You and I were kind of talking about I like know. I was like he should just if I were him I would ship myself in a, in a yeah, shipping container or something right? and go go abroad to <laughs> some, you know just get out of there yeah go hide somewhere where, where nobody would recognize me go find a place where like nobody's ever heard of cryptocurrencies I'm sure one exists so what do you what do you think is going to happen with crypto in uh, in 23 um, you think it's going to be a, a dead year you think there's a, there's room for a rebound is this is this sector completely fucked entirely where like there's no <laughs> there's there's no coming back from this or uh, man I don't know about in 2023 but I do think that there is like a coming back from this to be honest yeah um, I think that this is sort of what we saw back in like the the late 90s early 2000s where everything with dot com and it sort of like exploded everything that was a cryptocurrency like became super valuable and people were just pumping money into it and it was kind of the same thing with the dot com boom um and then ensuing bust. But, you know, companies that were actually good companies made it through that sure. and now have been incredible investments since then. So I think, you know, stuff like Ethereum and Bitcoin, um, you know, Ethereum, there's the, the the network, like you build things on it. It actually has a function. Yeah. Bitcoin being that original thing, like it's, it's really, it's only... Um, you know, its only goal was to be a currency, you know, was to have a limit of how much of it could be produced and be a currency. Um, So I think those ones are kind of like, you know, the Amazons or or Cisco's or whatever that are like going to make it through and probably come out better on the other side. I've been trying to to maintain that viewpoint for a while. And Uh it's it's hard. Uh It's hard. And not just with crypto, but with with everything. Uh, You know, a lot of tech stocks that I was holding that just have gotten absolutely crushed. And it's like, you know, and I've kind of been nibbling on my way down, but it mm-hmm. is. There's always a question of like, how low can it really go, and at what right. point do you uh, run out of, you know, run out of cash? You can keep buying the dip, but eventually, right, right. And I've think... definitely heard advice that's uh, something like, you know, you never sell a new 52 week high, and you never buy a new 52 week low. Yeah. You know, because it can always go higher and it can always go lower. Yeah. But you know, like you said, it's tough to, to like how low can they go, um, and. I think it really comes down to, like, how much do I like the company? You yeah. know, I was watching an interview with Warren Buffett the other day, and uh, the guy was like, so you don't buy stocks, you buy companies, huh? Yeah. And yeah. he's like, yeah. He's like, well, when I was younger, I bought stocks. I did yeah. it entirely wrong. I bought yeah. stocks, and I looked for stocks that would go up, and I tried to avoid stocks that would go down. Yeah. And he's like, and then I read this book by Benjamin Graham about, mm-hmm. you know, investing, and I started to realize that, like, no, I need to look at businesses, yeah. you know, and, and good businesses and, and businesses with, with, with holding power, businesses that are going to be around. 
Um, so like I've I mentioned Apple earlier um, in my in my example for stop losses. Um, but like Apple's a good company. Apple's going to be around years from now. You know, Apple's going to be around in 10 years and it's probably going to be worth more money. So yeah, could it go down further? Oh, definitely. 100%. I mean, that's probably one of the reasons that like you look at, at individual stocks, you've got like Meta and um, and Google and Tesla and all of these stocks that have lost like 50, 60, 70% yeah. of their value. And then you've got Apple that's down like 10, 15%. Well, Apple also makes up the majority of the indexes. So like that's one of the reasons that while individual stocks have just gotten hammered, the indexes are only down like 20%. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Do you think that the, that is possibly the last shoe to drop is like these mega cap companies that yeah. haven't like completely collapsed and that like part of me has been waiting for that like Definitely. like waiting for the apple sell off to really but at apple the same will time take the rest of the market with it yeah you at know, the same 100%. time amazon's lost what 100 a trillion dollars in, right? in the valuation right the first company in history to lose a trillion dollars it's fucking is, crazy it's not um that's not a a, a, a like you know yeah. feather i'd like to stick in my cap but yeah. but to me like amazing. i see that and i just think that that seems like an opportunity that's like a trillion dollars mm-hmm in potential growth and valuation that can just come once the market kind of turns around. Like if we get, you know, one or two more CPI reads that are lower than expectations or at least lower than the Fed's expectations and Mm -hmm. they flip, I feel like the market could just go the opposite direction. I don't know what... Oh, and I think it will. You know, I think that the market will probably read a pause in rates as a pivot, um, which it isn't, but, you know, it's close. It's something. Um, and I definitely think that if we get a couple more lower CPI reads, the Fed will, you know, do some pausing and maybe even do some pivoting. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, for a bunch of different reasons. One, I, I, like, they all want jobs after this. Like, they all either want to go work for the Treasury or work for Goldman Sachs. And you don't get a job at Goldman Sachs by tanking the market. Sure. And you sure don't get a job uh, at the Treasury by, you know, increasing unemployment rates. Yeah. Uh, no was, politician's going to refer you for that. I was wondering what was going through Powell's head at the last meeting. Like, he just sounded so negative. Mm-hmm. Like, and it was really weird because the numbers came out and the market was like, hell yeah. And then Powell came out and just, like, sent us back through this, like, just he was like, nope, the party's, the party's not on. We're uh-huh. still we're still struggling here a little bit. We, we don't trust that the inflation numbers are. And I get it. Like, we wouldn't, we, it does make sense to look at a, a couple of more months, but it just, it kind of oh, sucks to, to have to, you know, well, bear the brunt of. And to, uh, to break the numbers out, right? So, like, we're looking at CPI as just, you know, one number, but there's a lot of factors that affect that. And, you know, the factors, like the things that are dropping, you know, used car prices dropped a ton. Yeah. I mean, yeah, energy and, costs have dropped some too. Um, have, have dropped a lot. You know, gas prices have dropped a lot because of all the releases from yeah. the SPR. There's a lot of trailing um, data with rent too, right? And yeah, there's trailing data with rent, but like housing prices have not dropped. I mean, they have dropped, but not yeah. that much. Well, because um, there's no inventory. Food, you know, is still costing a lot of money. Healthcare still costs a lot of money. The things that people use on a daily basis still cost a lot, yeah. but like used cars fell so much that it was able to pull, you know, the whole number down. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's sort of what, what Powell's thinking is, you know, yes, we're seeing we're seeing the we're seeing the, the effects that we want to see, but we're not seeing them across uh, the board. Tri- yeah, or... across the board. We're not seeing them spread out into the things that that are really um, that are really driving the economy. And and he really wants to kill the uh, the labor market. Yeah. And I know everybody is like, why would he want to do that? This is terrible. But the thing is, you know, as long as there are more jobs available than there are people looking for jobs, then employers have to compete for employees, and that means they have to offer higher sure. wages. 
And when you offer higher wages, like that's the biggest expense that a company has is their payroll usually. Yeah. So, you know, what do you do? You have to raise prices to cover that. Yeah. And then when you raise prices, you get people the are like, hey, I need more money to pay for stuff. Let me get a raise. And exactly, you get the spiral. And we haven't seen that yet. Um, and I'm kind of concerned that we start to see that next year, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, if we see that, that's terrifying, I think. That's really where the threat of hyperinflation comes in as far as I understand it. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and so. like, you I know, mean, as much as that... I want everyone to make more money and, and to, uh-huh. you know, it's just it's the reality reality is that if everyone makes more money, there's only a limited supply of yeah. goods that, that they can purchase, and then they're all going to be, well, you yeah, know, it's, one of those bid, things it's a bidding like war. If, for... if everybody's a millionaire, like, nobody's really rich. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's uh, it's, <laughs> it's one of the things that I used to say when I was younger. If everybody's special, then nobody's special. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh, that's sort of, uh, I don't know, that's definitely a concern that I have. Um, I'm worried that, uh, you know, the Federal Reserve obviously did not act quick enough you know, to, to, to stop inflation when it started. They were insistent that it was transitory, that yeah. this was just a glitch, you know, this is a fluke, it's it's not going to last. Yep. Um, and it did. Here we are, you know, they, like over they a year botched, later. They really have been botching this whole thing. It's, so it's why wild. would we assume it's... that they would do it right on the way back down, you yeah. know? So um, I don't know. My concern is that they'll see that inflation has started to drop. They'll see that a recession is setting in and markets are starting to crash and that they will reverse course and they'll start to do more easing or they'll just pause or they'll actually cut rates yeah. um, and they'll send inflation back up again. And then, you know, we'll start to, you know, add more to the rates again and bring inflation back down and the market will come back down and we'll go, you know, and we'll sort of go back and forth. And that's that's sort of what happened throughout the course of the 70s. You know, if you look at a chart of inflation, it's up and down and up and down. And finally, you know, inflation was up around like 12 or 13 percent and they raised the Fed funds rate up to like 21 percent. Yeah. And that killed inflation. It also caused a two-year recession. You know, so you kind of have to have somebody in there who doesn't mind causing a two-year recession. Sure. You know, um, but then was it Paul, Paul Volcker? Vol- yeah, Volcker, Volcker, Vol- yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I just wish that wrong. some. I wish that Powell came in and just kind of did that from the from the get-go. And was mm-hmm. like rates are just just one quick shot. I'm going to raise them by two percent. Rip the bandaid off. You know, not not not. 20 basis yeah. points, not if, 50 basis. No, I'm going to raise them by 200 basis yeah. points at a time. It feels like we're slowly peeling that Band-Aid off. Definitely. With, definitely. Uh, with all this uncertainty in mind, uh, heading into 2023, mm-hmm. uh, what are some, maybe some key like areas of investment that you kind of... For sure. Well, if I'm right, if I'm right about this and we end up seeing the dreaded stagflation, yeah. um, then... Gold, energy, infrastructure, um, and income. Yeah. And honestly, real estate. Um, real estate's usually uh, pretty decent. It's not yeah. going to uh, – it's going to outperform markets um, in a stagflationary environment, um, but mainly it's going to keep up with that inflation. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's going to make sure that your money doesn't lose value. Um, gold during the 70s, gold was up like four or 500%. Mm-hmm. Um but if you look at like the actual stock markets during the 70s, the S&P 500 index, an inflation-adjusted uh, gain of like less than 5% over that 10 years. Yeah. Um, and the Dow, actually, its inflation-adjusted uh, gain was a loss. It was, it, went, it was down like 45% inflation-adjusted from 1970 to 1980. Yeah, it's um, Yeah, it is. It really is brutal. And I think, you know, right now you hear a lot of comparisons to um, – to 2001 and to 2008. Yeah. Because Wall Street's basically run by people who are our age, you know, and we were born 
after that happened. Yeah, we didn't actually experience it. So yeah, of course we're gonna like we're gonna compare this to things that we've experienced, you know, because we never we don't know what stagflation's like, yeah. and we didn't see that happen, um, and we don't, you know, we know because we saw it in textbooks and stuff. Yeah, um, but. You know, people are like, oh, well, the housing market's going to collapse like it did in 2008. Well, things are really different than they were in 2008. I mean, builders went crazy uh, in the early 2000s and created this huge oversupply. Um, banks were giving out credit to anybody who could loan to or rub two nickels together. Yeah. You know, um, you had these adjustable rate uh, mortgages, which would adjust monthly. Um, now, an adjustable rate mortgage doesn't start adjusting uh, after the fir- until after the first seven years. Oh, okay. Yeah, you yeah. know, so like they still have adjustable rate mortgages. Yeah. It's just they're a little bit less predatory. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, also, in this most recent you know housing boom from like 2020 to 2022, uh, the average buyer was putting down more than 20 percent on a house. You know, and back in like the early 2000s, they're putting down like five. Yeah, nothing. Yeah, nothing you know, yeah. whatever. Um, and so like. Uh, credit, um, you know, credit terms have been a lot stricter. You know, you have to, uh, you, you you have to jump through a lot more hoops to get a loan now. You can't so you just th- like tell them how much you make anymore. You think that the housing market is a little bit safer? I think it's a little safer. I think that you know, it's definitely gonna, it's obviously gonna slow down. I mean, we've seen that yeah. this year. It's probably gonna drop some. I don't know if it's gonna crash like it did in two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. I, I can sort of see, you know, because supply is still tight. Um, you've got a lot of people out there who aren't worried about making their payments because they refinanced with rates at at all-time lows. Um, So I can definitely see the housing market sort of, you know, slowing down, definitely slowing down, not not being as good of, uh, you know, as good of an investment as it has been in the past. Well, I think um, as far as like investing in the real estate market goes, there's other pathways other than buying a house for oh, yourself. Like I, I feel like, you know, you're just, you're buying a house, you're well in tune with the market. You know that housing is potentially going to drop, but you're buying because it makes sense at this point in your life to buy. And you yeah. can't really like, you're not going to time that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you as know. far as the investment goes, you're looking to other routes to, to, to invest in real estate, correct? Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, for for people who, you know, aren't looking to, to buy a new house, you know, I am actually looking to buy a new house yeah. to like, to, to move to a new place where we'll live, we'll raise a family, that kind of thing. It's going to be a home. You know, and when it's a home, you can't really look at it as an investment. Yeah. You know, people are like, oh, I'm underwater in my house. And you can't be, you know, because the house was worth that much to you when you bought it. It's not It's not an investment. It's a home. It's a roof over your head. Yeah. Um, it's a place to make memories, yeah. Jason. <laughs> well, you're, I mean, you're renting too. You are doing a little bit of, in a way, uh, yeah. you're, you have some investment property. And I do plan on doing that with my current house, renting out my current house. Yeah. Um, but for people who, you know, can't rent out their current house or, you know, don't want to buy a new house and stuff like that, there's lots of different ways that you can invest in real estate, real estate investment trust being my favorite. Yeah. You, I mean, you and you were one of the first people to turn me onto this, I don't know, maybe a decade ago. Um, like right before the the real estate investment trust run up, mm-hmm. um, they've a lot of real estate investment trusts have since dumped. Right? Oh, gosh, like, yeah. do you think it's a good? Is it is now like a really good time to be to be getting into that space? Because I think they're that it's cheaper. a pretty good time. You know, they have dropped a lot. Um, and if you look at it, a lot of private investors are starting to look to public real estate um, companies, you know, okay. public real estate investments. Um, so the thing is with with private real estate is that private real estate isn't priced by the market. You know, I mean, it's only priced by the market when you sell it. Sure. Um, and uh, so you've got like all these PE firms that invested big into commercial real estate, residential real estate, whatever. And they're still valuing those funds based on the old values of the properties. Uh, they haven't tried to sell them yet. But in the public market, every day you get 
you get to see what the value that, you know, the market thinks that company's worth. The yep. market thinks it's real estate is worth. And so we've already seen them fall. And so a lot of these, uh, you know, Bill Gross um, is known as the Bond King. Um, and uh, shoot, there was another guy uh, that I was recently reading about. Um, dang, now I can't remember his name. Um, but basically, you know, they, they, they work for big, you know, um, companies like Blackstone, and they're looking out into the, uh, into the, the um, public real estate markets, the, the REITs and things like that. And they're actually looking for real estate investment trusts that they can take private yeah. um, so, because they've already been, you know, they've already been hit. Yeah, so I know like within REITs, there's almost like these like a bunch of different subcategories of areas that you can invest mm-hmm. in. Like if you want to invest in like actual like, you know, uh, apartments, you can invest in a, in a, in a real estate uh, investment trust that is looking at a specific area or whatever. Uh, you had kind of uh, you've recommended some REITs in like the data center space and the warehouse space. Uh, what are some of those subsectors that you think that investors should be eyeing right sure, now? Sure, sure. Um, so, I mean, really, the only thing that that a REIT has to so the REIT has to a REIT has to have a couple of things. The majority of its assets have to be in real estate, um, and uh, it has to pay out ninety percent or more of its pre-tax profits to investors. And then it gets, you know, it basically it gives it a uh, special tax treatment. So the REIT doesn't have to pay taxes on its profits because it's giving those those profits out as gotcha. distributions. And then we as shareholders pay that, you know, 15% tax yep. on the distributions. Um, so that's what makes a REIT a REIT. Uh, but, you know, there, you, like you said, there's lots of them. There's industrial properties. Uh, those guys own warehouses and distribution centers. You know, Amazon doesn't own all of the, the warehouses that all of the Amazon products are in. Um, so they rent those from, from companies. Um, there's, uh, uh, like you mentioned, there's real estate, like residential real estate, where, you know, there's ones that focus on apartment buildings. There's others that focus on single family homes. Um, I think that the rental market is probably going to be pretty big. You know, uh, we were just saying that a lot of people are getting priced out of the real estate market. And priced sure. Out so they buying. got it. I mean, you got to live somewhere. Um, uh, so I think that the, the rental market's pretty big. And, and historically, the U.S. has been a country of renters. It wasn't until after World War II and the GI Bill that we really saw like this move to the suburbs and people buying homes and things like that and, you know, home ownership and, you know, a turkey in the oven and a car in the driveway. Yeah. Well, I feel, I feel like the, the, a lot of the family dynamic is broken down. And at the same time, uh, a lot of people seem to be more mobile with their work and you have this work this remote work thing so i think it makes sense that more people are renting because the benefit of renting is that you get that flexibility mm-hmm. uh the, obviously there are benefits to owning a home as well but you kind of get tied down and i think there's a lot sure. of people uh in you know our generation especially the you know gen z that just don't like they're not ready to do that oh yeah and even um you know people like uh in in the baby boomer generation like you think about that they've been taking care of their houses their whole lives you know are, are they you know do they enjoy calling the plumber and like negotiating like you know prices and things like that when yeah. something breaks or would they rather be able to just call the super and be like hey man we got a leak can you send somebody up to fix it sure yeah, um, I guess it depends on if your super sucks or not. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, true, like if your true. super's like a cheap, a cheap fuck, or if uh-huh, uh... <laughs> uh-huh. no, very true, very true. If you got a good super, then then you're gonna call him or, or her uh, or them. I don't know. Land, <laughs> it's, it's land, all new world. Landlord. I, I actually saw something recently. It was like, don't say. It was like we, we don't say landlord anymore. 
we don't because it's like that's not PC. To oh say yeah, we're not, like, we're not we're not like living in in like a feudal. Exactly, we're not lords. <laughs> it's more, and I forget what 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 term they were suggesting. It's like Jesus Christ. I don't know. I mean, when I rented out my house, I kind of liked being referred to as a landlord. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Of course, as a landlord, it's great. You know, it's as awesome. The, as the the person that's in the, the fiefdom. Tenant? Uh, I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think the rental market big, um, distribution centers are, I mean, e-commerce is, is, is going to continue to be a big thing. You know, obviously during a recession, people aren't going to spend as much. So, you know, if we have, if we do have a recession, if I'm wrong and we don't get stagflation and we actually get pushed into a recession and we kill inflation, you know, people are probably not going to be buying a ton of stuff for a little while, but that will recover. Um, you know, uh, and that, that will come back. So I think distribution centers are good. And what's nice about the REITs is because they have to pay out all of those profits, um, is that, you know, you're, you're getting a dividend, you're getting, you're getting cash. So even if the stock isn't moving, you're still, you're still getting money. the payments. Yeah. Uh, there's a company that we invested in, in the wealth advisory, I want to say back in 2017, um, it's called Innovative Industrial Properties. It's a, a real estate investment trust that owns cannabis properties. You know, they own like basically the buildings, the, the greenhouses and, and processing facilities that cannabis operators use. And so cannabis operators still can't, at least in the U.S., can't borrow money from banks um, because it's yeah. federally illegal. And the so do you act just failed or is going to fail. So um, you were explaining this whole situation. And I think that was an incredible purchase back back in the day. Oh, it was amazing. And, and, um, and it was that stock crushed it, and people were getting the regular payouts. And the payouts the, have grown basically. Of course, every, if you bought low on that, it would have been amazing. We bought it. Um, um, is that company going to get screwed if there's some sort of federal legalization and the banks? You know what I mean? Because it's almost like the way you described it is that's almost like a loophole. It is. It is. For, it is now like a bank yeah. for for cannabis companies. And if, and if that situation flips, like regulatory, like in the in the regulatory uh, framework, is that going? Would you kind of step step back from them or? It won't be so. I don't think that it will grow as quickly as it has in the yeah. past if that happens. But I don't think that it's going to be like a death knell for it yeah, either. Yeah, because they're already established and they have. Well, like, yeah, and and this is how um, real estate investment trusts work. You know, and not just in the cannabis industry. Like these companies, um, you know, these companies they 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 go out and they're like, hey, you've got a warehouse and you want to expand to like two warehouses. Well, we'll tell you what, we'll buy that warehouse from you, rent it back from you, and put up the money to build a new one and you can rent that one from us too. Yeah. And so companies do this because, you know, maybe they're getting, you know, a slightly better deal than if they were to go out into the into the debt markets and sure. private debt or go to a bank and be like, hey, loan me some money so that I can build a new warehouse. Um, so yeah. well, it's also they don't have to actually deal with that shit. Like these, this company specializes in mm-hmm. in managing these properties and yep. putting these properties together and stuff. And that, you know, a company like Amazon might not, that's not really their their business necessarily yeah, like they don't want to be a real estate business they yeah. don't want to have to go out and look for it yeah. they don't want to like you know deal with the contractors yeah. and build the buildings and all of that stuff um but what's really nice is most of these REITs now not all of them but most of these REITs have what's known as a triple net lease and triple net just means that the tenant pays for everything the tenant pays for maintenance the tenant pays okay. for uh, repairs the tenant pays the property taxes um, you know, so like everything is handled by the tenant. Yeah, All yeah. the landlord does is collect, and then every once in a while, add stuff to it. You know, build uh, build onto it if like you know they they decide they um, they want to expand. Right. Well, it sounds like a pretty great deal. Look, oh, it's I, an amazing deal. I, but what I was just wanted to get into yeah. with the IIPR is that um, that's innovative industrial, the cannabis one. Um, is when we bought that, you know, uh, it was I think it was paying like twenty five cents a quarter, so a dollar a year. Um, it's paying uh, almost two dollars a quarter now. 
So our original shares are making about 40% a year, even if they never move again. Even yeah. if that stock price never goes up again, we'll still make 40% a year. As long as that company As long still, as yeah. that company's paying that yeah. dividend. That's, and it's amazing. And that's the power of, of investing in these kinds of companies, investing in, in, in uh, income-producing companies. Okay. So before we uh, before we go, I know you got to do some holiday shopping today. I do. I, t- uh, I haven't done any yet. I'm a last-minute Larry this year. I finally understand like how all the dads, like you know, oh, when I'm, I was a kid, the dads were, oh, my God, I got to go out on Christmas Eve and go shopping. And yeah. I'm like, oh, how can you do that, man? Well, now I know. All right. So uh, if you could real quick just kind of tell uh, the listeners how they can kind of at least like we, we talked a lot about the real estate investment trust, which publications would they look to to uh, to, to get that information? And- uh, so the wealth advisory, our focus of the wealth advisory is, is generating income. Um, you know, we want to help people build a portfolio that they can live off of in retirement. And, you know, once you stop working, you stop getting paid typically. But if you have investments that generate income, then you don't have to work to get paid. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's really the dream. That's how like rich people get rich. That's how they stay rich. Yeah. That's, that's my goal. I would love to, you know, I love going on vacation and, and being able to know that I'm still making money, even yeah. though I'm not, I'm not working. That's great. Yeah. Well, look, I think the wealth advisory is a great deal. I mean, in terms of like what information you're getting it's oh like, it's a super it's, good deal it costs less than a dinner out you know honestly i mean i don't know how much does a like a, a movie ticket cost it's like 25 bucks to go see a movie yeah, now like, yeah. it costs less than taking your family out to see the movies yeah um and you know you can honestly pay that back with any one of our investments you know with the dividends that we receive off our investments yeah even. yeah um it's it's a great um it's a great newsletter i like it i'm proud of it i'm a little biased obviously obviously and i should be um you know but uh we'll, we'll but put yeah a, that's our we'll, focus Focus um, is, uh, is 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 income investing. We really like REITs. We invest in a lot of them. Um, we've got some funds in there too. Um, but yeah, you know, that's uh, especially if you're just getting started as an investor. I would highly recommend that one. Highly recommend all of them. To all right, be we'll, we'll drop we'll drop some links and you could you could pitch it a little bit further in those links. But uh, awesome. Jason, happy holidays. Good talking to you. Appreciate it. Good talking to you. Too.